Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As many of you are aware, during the fall season, the Jewish community throughout the world gathers in synagogues to observe and celebrate the High Holy Days and the festivals of Sukkot and Simchat Torah. One of the essential components of all Jewish worship is the music of the service and of course the music for the holy days is different than the music of Shabbat and somewhat differs from the music of the festivals. With the this morning is a guest Daniel Geigerman who is a cantorial student at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. He is studying to be a cantor, a musical liturgical leader within the Jewish community He was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, where he graduated from Webster University with a B.A. in music. Prior to attending cantorial school, he worked many years as a cantorial assistant, music teacher, camp music director, and religious school teachers within synagogue settings. He has also worked with Hillel, the Jewish College Student Associations, and the National Association of Temple Youth, um, high school youth organizations associated with the reform movement of uh, North American Jewry. And it is a pleasure to welcome Daniel to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. This morning, Daniel and I want to chat with you a bit about Jewish music and then turn to the specific modes and modalities of the music of the Holy Days. So let's begin with a more general question. What is the role of music in the Jewish worship service? Well, music provides a connection to the our words, to our liturgy, uh, that just speaking uh, can't reach. Uh, music has always been used throughout uh, many, many centuries, many millennia to, uh, to connect us uh, more spiritually to things that we can't understand. Uh, and I'm certain that uh, many of the listeners can <laughs> relate to the fact that God is a very uh, difficult uh, being to understand. And through music, we can uh, better uh, relate to the divine, I think. So um, in many church services, the service is um, read, and then hymns are added to the service. Perhaps in the Mass, there is a great deal that is chanted or offered in the chanting mode. Um, In the Jewish worship service, what would you estimate is the percentage between that which is offered either in the written Hebrew, the spoken Hebrew or the spoken English, and that which is offered musically. Um, How you would define musically could, of course, vary between performance and participatory music. But give us an estimate so that the listeners have a sense. I would say that um, in a modern reform uh, service, that uh, greater than ninety percent of the uh, of the prayers or the 
uh, or the poems or the liturgy is sung in some sort of way, either by the cantor or by the congregation or by them together. Um, it is uh, it is an integral part of uh, Jewish prayer is uh, doing it through music in some way, shape, or form. And while in the tradition, um, the service was always chanted um, in more post-emancipation in the last 200 years, those aspects of Judaism which might fall within the Reform, Conservative, or other denominations um, made a switch to um, reading more of the service than music. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think they've come back to a more musical approach to offering prayer? Um, I think that it is... In a way, when when we move towards the more reading, uh, there's this wonderful. Before I, I get into that, there's this wonderful article. It's called "When the Cantor Turned Around," um, and traditionally, the cantor or whoever is leading the service was praying the same direction as the congregation, and then the cantor turned around, and all of a sudden, the cantor, the rabbi, was speaking to the congregation, and there there developed uh, more of a dialogue between the the leaders and the congregation. And I think that facilitated more reading uh, rather than uh, chanting. But uh, now I think is more um, that, that we've gone back to this idea of singing or uh, chanting because uh, we're trying to go back to our roots. We're trying to f- uh, reach those... Uh, those higher levels of understanding of the prayers through music, like I was speaking about before. So music helps us emotionally connect to the words. Yes, definitely. Whether it's uh, those people who listen to music um, recognize that um, in symphonic music, there's often no need for words because the music um, conveys powerful emotions. Mm -hmm. But in opera or in choral music, the music and the words work together to create an environment and an atmosphere and a mood. Um, and you're suggesting that that's what happens in the Jewish worship service. Definitely, definitely. Um, I would remind our listeners that, of course, the Jewish um, worship service uses primarily a fixed liturgy, like the Mass in the Catholic Church. Um, The prayers are repeated um, either daily or on Shabbat or on the Holy Days, And the music provides a variant for the same prayer uh, composition. So perhaps, Daniel, you could share with our um, listeners this morning um, the difference between music on Shabbat, which occurs every week, and the music of the Holy Day season, which the Jewish community is in the midst of now. Yes. Well, one of the uh, prime examples is the uh, the prayer Shema Koleinu. Shema Koleinu is uh, asked for God to hear our voice um, and to hear our words and what uh, what we ask of God. And during a regular Shabbat or during the regular weekday, it is said silently. 
uh, usually during what is called the Amidah portion, which is the uh, central or the the main focus of the Jewish service. Um, And it is usually said silently, except on the High Holy Days, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, where it is said aloud. Um, And it has become a tradition, uh, especially uh, for the High Holy Days and the Reform, the classical Reform movement, uh, for it to be sung uh, in a more soloist type of, uh, of, I hate to use the word, but performance. Sure. And so in that sense, um, on the weekdays or Shabbat, the prayer is offered by an individual on behalf of themselves. Mm -hmm. But on the Holy Days... You're suggesting that the prayer is offered by the cantor, the musical leader, on behalf of the entire congregation. Correct. So perhaps you could share with our listeners um, a little bit of that uh, music to give them a sense of how the cantorial uh, leader um, offers this petitionary prayer on behalf of the congregation. Yes, and I wanted to read something uh, by Cantor Lauren Furman. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this last name. Uh, Adesnik. Yes, that's what it is. Cantor Adesnik uh, stated that one of our most uh, popular uh, composers for Shema Kolenu um, is Max Helfman, and he is a uh, he was a writer of. Uh, numerous, numerous settings of different prayers, and uh, he was uh, wrote some very powerful pieces. And this setting of Shema Kolenu, which I will uh, sing in just a moment, I wanted to read her words about it. Most of all, this piece is powerful. Helfman expertly sets the text, which with a leap in the voice over the word Shema, drawing out. The cry for God to hear our prayers, which I thought was a, a perfect explanation of it. So the piece starts out, as usually set with organ, starts out with very low notes um, that builds up until the cantor cries out, Shema Koleinu Adonai Eloheinu Chus verachem Aleinu, Aleinu And there's just that cry out for God to hear our voice. So the music conveys what we hope as clergy the worshipers are feeling at that powerful moment in the holy days in which one is standing metaphorically naked before their God and offering prayers of repentance and prayers of acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. It's a, it's a wonderful piece. Um, and you mentioned that it starts in kind of a Minor key? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I would say uh, using 
more Western uh, terminology, musical terminology, such as minor and major, can be a good introduction into how to describe Jewish music, but it's a bit more complicated than that. Aha, how so? So Jewish uh, music is uh, comprised up of different modes. Um, now, I... Uh, those who understand uh, music theory will have heard about modes before and that with uh, uh, Ionian and Aeolian, we use terms in Western music such as major and minor. But um, there are three main modes of uh, Jewish music and then they're combined and sort of... uh, Mixed modified, and mixed and matched. Yes, exactly. There's Magen Avot, Ahava Rabbah, and Adonai Malach. So those are all names of prayers. Correct. Um, which repeat themselves in a variety of different ways depending on the holy days or Shabbat. Yes. And so what Daniel is suggesting, just so I clarify it for the listener, is that the mode of music is attached to the prayer and then modified at its different time, correct? I would say that except for okay. except for Adonai Malach, which is sort of um so it is actually sung in a in a different mode. Okay. And that is a very common thing you will see in uh in Jewish services in general, it's this idea of anticipation. Okay. Uh, like uh, when we uh, when we anticipate what's uh, what's upcoming in the service, and we give a little nod to it. We give a musical nod, or we give a, a textual nod when uh, we're uh, we're chanting the next week's Torah portion. Right. Uh, and uh, that that idea of anticipation is very prevalent throughout Jewish music. Okay, so you've identified three modes associated with three particular uh, prayers. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example, and hopefully the listener can hear the difference? Yes, so um, it's it's difficult to to give common versions of of these modes, but uh, one of the easiest for Adonai Malach, which, if you listen to it, will sound major. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Borei Peri Hagafen, which is our prayer over the wine, and I, uh, one of the most uh, interesting modes, I think, is the Ahava Rabbah. Most people will um, will hear it and they'll go, "Oh, that sounds Middle Eastern." And you hear this, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. <laughs> so, Ahava Rabbah mm-hmm. is a prayer that repeats itself in each Jewish worship service, but we're not talking about the words per se. Correct. We're talking about what you've called mode. Right. Which finds itself associated with that prayer, but then transfers um, to other prayers. Correct. Okay. And so, so that, <clears throat> just for our listeners' sake, when um, Daniel chanted the prayer over the wine, he was suggesting that that mode of music could be used for many different prayers. Correct. All of them in the same motif, mm-hmm. um, but that the what we might call the melody, 
um, works for all of them. And Correct. for Ahava Rabah, which means the great love of God. With, with great love, you have loved us, God. Yes. Um, we speak of God's love for us. Um, then is transferred to a primary um, piece of liturgy for the Holy Days. And before we come back to Avinu Malkena, we'll do the third one. Okay. Yeah, so uh, the third one, Magena vote, this would sound uh, to most people as in minor, uh, but there are slight variations, uh, different scale degrees are lowered or raised. Um, and you can hear that that slight raise at the very end, but it has a minor feel. And so these modes are used at specific times, Throughout uh, the the worship during the week, um, you have Adonai Malach, which is used mostly during uh, during Kabbalat Shabbat, which is which precedes the Shabbat worship. Um, and uh, you you could walk into a um, a synagogue having no idea what time of day it is or what day of the year it is, and if they're chanting their traditional chants, you could tell exactly what day of the of the year it is if it's a holiday what day of the week what time of day it is through uh through these modes and so one of the reasons that there are skilled professional musical leaders called the cantor in english and the chazan in uh, hebrew is the worshiper the individual worshiper is not expected to be conversant with all these modes, but to allow the musical leader, the cantor, the chazan, to invite through their skill level Mm -hmm. and through their knowledge, the worshiper to enter into the worship service. That be fair? Yeah, and uh, they're also there to facilitate uh, the changes in between the prayers. So if all of a sudden it's Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of the Jewish new month, and all of a sudden we have to add something in. They're there to make sure that it is added in the correct way. Perfect. Okay. So you offered us a, a hint of Avinu Malkenu, which is one of the major prayers of the holy days, which doesn't appear during weekdays or Shabbat. Correct. Um, it's a major statement of the theology of the holy days. Avinu meaning father or parent, Malkenu meaning king, sovereign. And so it speaks in the language of prayer of this dual um, relationship that the worshiper has with God. That on one hand, we see God as a protector Um, as a sovereign is, and um, even those of us in Canada who still think of the queen um, as our protector, our sovereign. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, it speaks of the intimate relationship that one has with a parent. Correct. So that there's an intimacy and a um, transcendent nature right? That the queen is far away from us, the king may be far away, but you still feel protected by them, even though there's no intimacy in the relationship. With God, too, both exist. And so this prayer um, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur 
call upon the worshiper, musically especially, because this is rarely rarely said. Yes, that is correct. Uh, we, we might uh, say some of the words uh, before we sing it, but there is very rare where we don't sing it uh, and just say it. Right. Even in those um, small congregations where there may not be a professional musical leader, the congregation would have a version of it which is known as the folk version. Correct. Maybe Daniel will sing a little bit of that, which anyone could lead, just so that um, this um, experience of singing together of this theological statement is um, offered the opportunity to all of the congregation. So now that we've explained it, perhaps you can sing a bit of it. Of course. Avinu malkeinu, chaneinu vaneinu. Avinu malkeinu, chaneinu vaneinu. Ihein manu masim, aseimanu. Tzedaka vachesed, aseimanu tzedaka vachesed vehoshienu. So here the worshiper uh, stands. The uh, In most congregations, the Aron HaKodesh, the Holy Ark, the um, storage um, place for the sacred text is opened. So you stand before your God and you offer this prayer um, and acknowledge the dual nature of God. And each of the verses speaks about a different part of the relationship with God um, in the dynamic that exists for the worshiper. Um, and the music allows, as many of you have just heard, for us to take um, two different approaches to the prayer. One can simply focus on the music mm -hmm. and allow the music to overwhelm us um, and carry us toward the important uh, liturgical moment, or one can focus on the words. Correct. Um, sometimes the words are off-putting. The music is rarely off-putting. Correct. <laughs> um, so um, perhaps you could also, um, since we're talking about the holy days, um, perhaps you could also speak um, to the prayer known as Ashamnu, which uh, is uh, a recitation of sins. Correct. And this is um, actually in a more traditional uh uh, viewpoint is also included during daily daily prayers during Tachanun, right? Uh, and uh, it this one is usually said silently again, just like Shema Kolenu was said silently by the person. But when we get to the High Holy Days, the the Ashamnu is said out loud by everybody, um, and it is uh, it is the short confession. Uh, it is, uh, what I like about it is that it says we, we have done this. We have, it's not just the one person. It's we as a community, because that's one of the 
main things about music and coming together to pray is that we are taking responsibility for our community. If we see something that's wrong and we let it go, that's our fault. But Ashamnu really um, really speaks to more specifically, we've done this wrong, we've done this wrong. Uh, and during the recita- recitation of Ashamnu, uh, one usually um, uh, very gently taps their chest with a, with a fist um, just as a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And this is just as a symbolic thing. There's no hard hitting or anything. Right. So Ashamnu is written in the collective plural, as are all of the prayers, uh, all of the words that are part of this prayer. As Daniel has indicated, the community assumes responsibility for all these sins. Um, I think one of the English translations speaks about um, a litany of sins, Mm -hmm. uh, a litany of mistakes. There's no hierarchy of sins in the Jewish tradition. So on Yom Kippur, um, the most serious sins are included um, with the most um, banal sins, but the recognition that sins are those actions which take us away from our attempt to perfection. And since rarely are we perfect, um, we have all, in that sense, theologically sinned. So if you will lead us, uh, our listeners, this morning. So there is a traditional, uh, and when I say traditional, I want to make sure that I'm clear. These are uh, things that may have, people say, Misenai, from Sinai, from Mount Sinai. These are things that Moses brought down from God. But we understand them as just these are the tunes that have become popular uh, we sometimes use the term folk or traditional interchangeably. And uh, this one version is one that I hear all, all over and is, I think, one of the most popular. And it it has a call and response. So you, even if you don't know how to read the words on the page, all you have to do is to respond to what the cantor or the chazan is doing. So it starts out with everybody uh, with a wordless melody called a nigun, which goes... And then the cantor goes first. Ashamnu. Everybody repeats. Ashamnu. Bagadnu. They repeat. Bagadnu. Gazalnu. Gazalnu, dibarnu dofi, dibarnu dofi. Then it returns to the ay 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 ay. And we go through all of the words of the. Uh, well, it, it is an acrostic. It goes from Aleph. Uh, Bet, Gimel, all the way down to uh, Tav, all the way down to the end of the uh, Hebrew alphabet, or the Aleph Bet. So the melody that you offered for this particular prayer um, 
leads us to understand how important the role of the cantor is in Jewish worship. There's an antiphonal nature to this. Correct. Um, of without which the full power of the prayer is lost. Right. This, uh, like I said, this allows people that don't even know how to read the prayer, don't know the different words, to respond and to be a part of the prayer. Um, I notice that our time is up. I want to thank my guest, um, cantorial student um, Daniel Geigerman, who has joined with me this morning to uh, help all of us understand the role of Jewish music and Jewish worship. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, this is Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a rebroadcast of this on iTunes podcast or on CHRI website. Shalom. Shalom.